0: Um, How many of you have seen this before? Raise your hand. Hmm, maybe about half of you, okay. Um, We've used this on a lot of our um, brochures, publications, letterheads, website before. Um, It's kind of a logo that we had chosen. Um, And sometimes at the bottom it'll say, um, immerse yourself um, in the living waters. Um, And maybe that's why you've seen kind of maybe some of the slide on the um, on the screens on Sunday mornings sometimes. Um, but have you ever wondered where it came from? Like, why would they choose that? Um, why would somebody choose Bethesda for the name of a church? Like, where does that even come from? Well, if you haven't, I have. Um, and I got to wondering one day, and um, like I'm guessing, it comes from the Bible, and then, you know, so I, I think I've heard that name before. I look it up, and um, it takes us to John chapter five, as you probably already noticed today. So, if you have a Bible, um, you can turn there, or turn up, unlock your phone, and get going there. John chapter five um, is the story of uh, where the name Bethesda comes from. And we could go a lot of different directions in this passage this morning, um, you know, and you can even, um, there have been people that have, um, church um, leaders in the past that have been tempted to even um, allegorize these uh, events and kind of, <laughs> as crazy as it may seem, um, there was one uh, church father who who thought the five roofed colonnades, as my version says, refers to the five books of the Uh, law in the Old Testament, the first five books of the, and so there's things that you can do and you can go there, but I was just kind of thinking, it was a good reminder, Wednesday night we had an elder meeting, Uh, we've been going through a book called um, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, I believe is the title, and uh, Paul shared from the chapter on expositional preaching and the importance that, um, of the Word of God in a healthy church and how you're supposed to take the Word of God um, and not twist it to make it say what you want it to say or um, do crazy things with it, but put it up as important and making sure you're teaching through that. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, we're going to take it, we're going to look at the, the text and see what does it say, what did um, John mean, uh, what was his purpose, kind of, what you think, for writing this and sharing this story with us, um, and just let the Holy Spirit, um, and pray that the Holy Spirit will bring that conviction, um, enlightenment, um, and do the work that he Is um, said he would do. So, John chapter five is kind of an um, interesting story. Um, We're going to look. The kind of sets the stage in the first five verses. Um, And he says um, in verse one: After this, there was a feast of Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He had been um, in Galilee, I believe, before this, um, and so he's kind of making his way up. And he ends up in Jerusalem. Probably he's there for the feast. We don't know exactly what feast it is, but. Um, that was a pretty typical, common thing to do is to go to Jerusalem um, for uh, the feasts that God had appointed. Um, verse 2, it says, Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda. Okay, there's that word, uh, Bethesda. Some may spell it differently. Some of your Bibles may say Bethsaida um, or something along those lines. Um, but what it means is um, a house of mercy or house of kindness, and you can see why. It's easy to see why as we continue on. Um, it says, I had five roof colonnades. And in those days, verse 3, a multitude of invalids, in case you don't know what that is, he explains, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. I'm going to need to address real quickly. You may notice that my Bible skips over verse 4. Verse um, 4. And some of your versions may have a verse 4. It's in the footnotes of my Bible. I'll give you a quick uh, textual criticism lesson. I had to go back back to my notes from Bible college and um, Bible introduction with Dr. Ron Sauer. I can still hear his southern accent in my head um, where he talks about there's sometimes there's what they call variance in the scriptures and the manuscripts for where we get the Bible. So these manuscripts that they find that were written long ago, some of them have verse 4, some of them don't have verse 4. Um, but what we see is that the oldest manuscripts um, don't have verse 4. Um, and so when you come across a variant like that, it says up there, the older reading is preferred. kind of obvious because if it's older it's closer to the actual time when it happened and so more than likely it's probably the correct one because it's i mean if you write something 20 years after it happened or you write something 200 years after it happened the 20-year one's probably going to be a little bit more accurate so that's why we take the older reading and it's not like um it's uninspired or it's probably not true i mean he's uh, somebody probably is just trying to explain um, what it says in verse 7, where it says when he's, the man is talking, he says, um, talks about the water being stirred up. Well, how does this water get stirred up? Why do these people think healing happens when the first person gets in? So he's probably trying to write an explanation. But um, So just quick thing there that it's um, probably inserted to just explain. But however the water was stirred, or what caused it, these people, the people that were there, the lame, the invalids, um, believed that it had some kind of healing powers, that there was something associated with that place and the things that happened there, because why else would there be all these people there? I mean, there's, there's no reason this guy would be sitting there um, if he didn't think that there was a possibility that he would be able to be healed. But as I read those first few verses, um, my question is, as I read this passage, is why was Jesus here? Like, seems like, I don't it, when you read the Gospels, it's not like, it seems like an out of the way, an odd place in a sense for Jesus to be. And you're wondering, well, why Jesus usually is around people? Well, Jesus usually didn't seek out, usually people that needed healing and um, that had things that were wrong with them usually sought Jesus out because they had heard of what he had done. Um, But here it seems like Jesus is almost in disguise, like he's He's able to walk in this, in around this area, which has to be fairly large. It's got five roofs over it. There's lots of people there. Um, and he's able to walk freely, it seems like, through this area. Maybe it's just early on enough in his ministry that he's not recognized or whatever it is. Um, but he's there for a reason. And if you, we're not going to read all of, go through all of John 5, but if you jump ahead to verses 19 to 21, we see why Jesus was here. In verse 19, it says, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, he's responding to the religious leaders, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. We see here then that Jesus was looking for people that God was working in, okay? He was doing the Father's work. God was showing Jesus where he was working and what he wanted him to do. And so Jesus was out looking for that. That's a lot of times maybe why you see him um, among the the people that the Jewish society had rejected, the sinners as it's often labeled in the Bible. He's looking for those people where God is at work. So as we see this and as we look at these first five verses, um, I think we can say um, that are you looking for where God is working and looking to join him? I think it's one of the things that I I can remember that I learned that from, um, I think it's Henry Blackaby's study, Experiencing God. He's really, pretty much the whole 12-week study or whatever it is, is look for where God is at work and join him. Because if you know he's at work there, you know he's there, and you know he's looking to do things. Um, So look for where God is at work and join him. That's what Jesus was doing. That's what Jesus did throughout his whole ministry, looking for God, um, being at work in people's life. The next couple verses, we just see the quick interaction um, between Jesus and this man. In verse 5, 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, glad Jesus agrees with me that 38 years is a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? Seems like an odd question. (laughs) He's sitting there. He's been there for a long time. He's been paralyzed for thirty-eight years, which has to just be um, demoralizing and hopeless. His situation seems hopeless. Why would Jesus ask that question? And his response is kind of an excuse. He doesn't even answer. Why doesn't? I mean, if you think if that you if you put yourself in his shoes, you think, well, yes. Why wouldn't I say yes? Why wouldn't I say of course? Um, He almost makes up an excuse. The sick man answered him in verse 7. Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Um, But as we go back to Jesus' question, do you want to be healed? Um, Jesus being the all-knowing giver of life, is able to look at this man who's sitting there he can't move um, on his own and see past his physical needs most of us just see that um, to the needs of his heart in all reality and he's not necessarily just asking do you want to be healed from your being paralyzed he's asking a deeper question Um, and i think uh, as i was looking at that verses and that question that jesus asked um, it kind of reminds me, I think there are a lot of people, and I think I've been in this situation before, that aren't necessarily, necessarily paralyzed physically, um, but are paralyzed spiritually. Um, life can be hard. Life can be difficult. Um, and um, extreme hard things can happen. Um, and sometimes we get so stuck in our misery, in the hardships of life, um, that we start believing the lies of Satan. I can't imagine that this guy had any hope. I, can, do you, what would he have to believe that he would, after 38 years, um, that he would be healed? I mean, honestly, 38 years from what my study says is longer than most people lived at that time. So not only is he paralyzed for an extremely long time, he's living in that state for longer than most people are alive. And it can be hopeless and you start to think, you know, is this ever going to change? Um, or maybe the, you hear things like, you're never going to amount to anything. Um, no one will love you after all you've done. Um, you're not beautiful. You're not good enough. Um, and I think a lot of times, at least as I look back on my own lo- life, It's not God coming in and bringing immediate deliverance in kind of those situations when you're stuck. Um, It's usually almost kind of in that form of that question Um, Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Is that really what you're doing? Is that really going to bring satisfaction? Um, How long are you going to continue to strive to be good? Um, do you want to be healed? And so learn to listen for those kind of questions, those kind of maybe prompts from God. Um, a lot of times he doesn't come in and just instantly fix the situation. He's looking at the needs of your heart and saying, what, what is really going on on the inside? And he wants to make it deeper than just the change of your external circumstances. So we see the interaction in verses 6 and 7, and then we see that Jesus does perform the miracle. <clears throat> John 5, 8 through 9, we see the miracle. Um, in verse 8 it says, And at once the man was healed. He took up his bed and walked. And now that day was the Sabbath. Okay? It's immediate, and it's permanent. Um, and I found this in a, a commentary. It says, the helpless man is given power to obey the word of Christ to stand up and begin to live. Okay? Jesus says, stand up, take up your bed, and walk. And it takes the power of God to help him to do that. I'll say that again. The helpless man is given power to to obey the word of Christ, to stand up and begin to live. And as I thought about that some more, this is a picture of the gospel. It's what Jesus and God does for us. As helpless men, women, boys, and girls, um, it takes God giving us the power to understand and believe his word um, and the power to stand up and walk with him. Um, So when you're helpless and you're in that state and you're stuck in your sin, it takes God using his power to help you get out of that situation. Uh, So if you've never accepted Christ as the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins, um, you're just like this guy. You're helpless. You can't do anything to change your situation. There's nothing you can do to get you out of your sin. Um, You're laying there. You can't heal yourself. It's hopeless. And then Jesus comes along and he says, do you want to be healed? Do you want out of the situation that you're in? Do you want to be healed from your sin? Do you want to be healed from your brokenness? And then he gives you the power to believe that word and to stand up out of that hopeless situation and live. Um, So the miracle is a picture of the gospel. Um, And it's a glorious picture. It's amazing that the the God of the universe gives us that power to believe the word, the gospel um, that he has shared with us in his word. The story kind of takes a turn in John 5 verse 10, and really it's kind of, a, it takes a turn uh, for John's gospel. Um, that We see opposition. The story turns from, I mean, this man was just healed. 38 years of being paralyzed, and he's healed, and he gets up, and I can't I can't imagine the scene. I'm guessing, you know, if he stands up and he, he's he's shocked and he's, like, amazed and all of these things are going on and the people around him are probably, um, you know, amazed and shocked and there's probably rejoicing and loud cries and, you know, he, he, he's supposed to pick up his bed and somehow uh, we see in the, all of that commotion, Jesus disappears into the crowd. Um, but in verse 10, um, the Jews, the Jewish religious leaders at the time is what that word means um, said to the man who had been healed so he's he's walking around carrying his bed mat because he doesn't need it there anymore he's got to go home and take it with him Um, and some jewish religious leaders see him and this is the sabbath remember and they say to him it is the sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed okay I think, like, that's just, that doesn't make any sense. Why can't the guy carry his sleeping bag around Well, on Sunday, on the Sabbath day? Um, and he says to them, in verse 11, he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? And now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place he just tells them that he had been healed and their first question who told you to pick up your bed and walk they don't even he just been healed and they don't even acknowledge it they don't even think about it because they're so focused on his external circumstances the fact that they think he is breaking the law and if you look back in the Old Testament there's no specific law Regarding um, the fact that you can't carry your sleeping bag around on the Sabbath, it's just the fact that they had taken God's word, and, and in order to, in an attempt to make sure they didn't break God's word, they added all of these other commandments onto it. Um, and so instead of you know God's word says don't work on the Sabbath, well, what is work? What does that mean? You know, is apparently they decided that work was carrying your sleeping bag on the Sabbath, your bedroll, your mat, your mattress. That was work. So you couldn't do that. So they made sure to have these list of things you couldn't do on the Sabbath that they considered work. And apparently, this was one of them. Um, And you see here, um, I came across this week, um, uh, the fact that they had um, drifted from what God had wanted them to do. God's law was here. Um, and they had taken it, and they'd started to drift away from what it says. And I found this from Andy Stanley um, this week, that it says there are three ways that a church, these are three of the ways that he says a church drifts, or even that in your own personal life, that you start to drift from what God's word says and what God has called you to do. Um, and the first thing that starts to happen is you start to drift from a passion for outsiders to pacifying insiders. You start to forget that there are people out there who need Jesus and they need the gospel, and we're supposed to go further God's kingdom by showing them and telling them and, and trying to help them understand what that means to starting to pacify the people that are inside the church. Um, and I, I mean, you could come up with whatever example you want. You've probably all seen it, and maybe you've even seen it in your, sec- in your own life. The second way that you start to drift after that is you start to drift from grace to law. And this, you can see this in the religious leaders. They had taken God's word, which was an act of grace. The fact that they were given, like that God had given them these commandments is an act of grace. I mean, he could have just let them figure out how they're supposed to do things on their own. Um, but after he saved them, he brings them out of exile, he gives them commandments. This is how I want you to live. It's, a, it's an act of grace, and they start to shift, instead of recognizing and remembering the grace of God in their life, to this is the law, this is an external standard. We start, they started to create a standard, this is what a good Jew looks like. If you're following God, you're supposed to be doing this, 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 and carrying your mat on the Sabbath was not a, what a good person, what a good Jew um, looked like. And, and it's almost always good things, right? It's not that they were trying to say, like, this is, like, working on the Sabbath. That's not a, that's a, that's a good thing. It's they're just taking it and forgetting about God's grace in their life and starting to create that standard um, of what, and then in our lives, it would be a standard of what a good Christian looks like. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to do these things and you're supposed to look like this. Um, And it's not necessarily the exact thing that God's word says. And the third drift um, is from a focus on the internal to the external. So you shift from a focus on internal transformation, the gods working in somebody's life, to external behavior and how they choose or how somebody is living. And that's an easy one to see because that's what we see. We see the external. We can't always tell what is happening on the inside. Um, But when we start to focus on just the external, and I'm guilty of it in my own life, you focused on the external behavior of those around you um, instead of trying to think about what is God doing in their life, the internal transformation, um, it's a shift. And that's exactly what's happened to religious leaders. And so it's easy for us to look at that and say, why aren't they rejoicing that this man is healed? But in all reality... We're probably all have been maybe in that situation or that kind of mindset at some point in our life. We've all had a time where we drifted away from grace, away from internal transformation, um, and away from that passion for outsiders. Um, So, have you started to drift? And we see it does kind of end on a good note. Um, Jesus finds the man again in verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Um, Then the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is still working until now and i am working i'm um, just going to say a quick thing on the what jesus's response to him where he says sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you um it, apparently sometimes maybe sin is the cause of physical problems um, that's what it maybe. maybe jesus is implying that here um, maybe he's implying that the worst that may happen to you is if you continue to live in sin you'll end up separated from God forever and eternity, and that's worse. That's worse than what he just went through. Um, But in our, and we know, if you look in chapter 9, even later on, John 9, 1 through 4, teaches us, Jesus had to tell his other, his disciples in another situation, it wasn't because of this man's sin that he's blind or lame. Um, But apparently, um, that is sometimes a possibility. Um, But the good news is, at the end of verse 17, we see, Jesus says, My Father is working till now, and I am working. That God is still working. Um, And sometimes we don't see it. Maybe sometimes we don't want to see it. Um, But God is still working. He's working in me. He's working in you. Um, and he's he's working in the person next to you, even though sometimes may you may not realize it. He may be working in your neighbor. He may be working in your coworker or coworkers, your classmates, or your family member. God is still working, and we can kind of see three different ways um, that God is working. Is He working in you like He was in the paralytic? do you want to be healed do you want to be healed from your sin is he are you stuck in a hopeless helpless situation um and you've started to believe some of the lies of satan that it's never going to change um or you're never going to be able to get out of your situation or god will never love me because of what i've done um talk to me or someone today if you Um, are in that kind of a situation i'll stay up here afterwards if you need someone to talk to Um, is he working in those around you are you looking are you searching and are your eyes open to god at work or do you not want to see god at work Uh, are you scared of what that looks like sometimes i am that might mean that i have to change or it might put me in a situation that i'm uncomfortable Um, but god is working are you looking for it um, or have you started to drift like the religious leaders and you, have, you you don't see it anymore? You started to focus on, not on God and His Word um, and the grace that He's given you, um, but on the external things and changes those things. But God is still working. And my um, prayer is that He would make Bethesda Church a house of kindness and a house of mercy. Um, and I know that He has done that, that you there have been many stories that I've heard where um, our church and the people here have extended kindness and have extended mercy to those um, around you. Um, and I'm thankful for that and I pray that God will continue to do that and continue to bring conviction when we start to drift and become more like the religious leaders um, and try to get us back on track um, and focusing on him and where he is working. Um, but God is still working and that's the great thing. It is, that's the amazing thing despite my sin and my failures, and despite you and the things that you struggle with, God is still working. Um, and we thank Him for that, and we praise Him for that. So let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is Bethesda M. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org, or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.